Hey everybody, thanks for downloading this episode of the Chicago Podcast Network's Out Front with AJ and Nick. You can find us on Twitter under Chicago Podcast Network. You can find us on Gmail, Network at gmail.com. You can find us on Facebook on our page there, Chicago Podcast Network. And most importantly, you can support the show by downloading and subscribing to this podcast and all Chicago Podcast Network podcasts through iTunes, Android, and any other device that you use. Hope you enjoy the show. Thanks, everybody. And here we go. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Out Front with AJ and Nick. This is Nick Sorantos, Editor-in-Chief, Grand Poobah, and I don't know, Lord of the Sith of the Chicago Podcast Network, joined over Skype. Uh, my good buddy, A.J. Signeri. A.J., say hi to the people. Hey, people. And there we go with our normal sign-on. So today's topic is going to be, well, it's going to be a fun one, folks. It's going to be about welfare, and it's an important topic because the neighbors to the north of the state of Wisconsin under the governor, Scott Walker, is going to be implementing mandatory drug testing for people on welfare. Now, it's a controversial issue. There's a lot of discussions on either side, uh, and... Uh, AJ, I know, and I are both against this. And uh, AJ, why don't you explain to the people you're against it, and I'll start getting into some numbers and statistics and stuff like that a little bit later on. Well, my view is just very simple. It's very stupid when you have a government wanting to drug test for those who need welfare. It is... And a ridiculous amount of money that you spend on for very little return. If you look at states that already do this, like in Mississippi and Alabama and elsewhere, you know, they shell out hundreds of thousands of dollars with very little return, you know, but they will take that and really exacerbate and says, oh, it works, but it's only like double digits. You know, it's not like thousands of people and it works and everything. So it's really stupid when you have elected officials who want to drug test welfare recipients. And I think that's the best way I can summarize it. There are 13 states in the in the country that currently have some form of drug testing for welfare. They are... Alabama, Arkansas, Arizona, Florida, Georgia, Kansas, Michigan, Mississippi, Missouri, North Carolina, Oklahoma, Tennessee, Utah, and Wisconsin. There are another 18 with proposals that have, that have either been submitted or are yet to be voted on. Connecticut, Illinois, Iowa, Kentucky, Maine, Mississippi, Minnesota, Montana, New York, Oregon, Pennsylvania, Rhode Island, South Carolina, Texas, Vermont, Virginia, and West Virginia. Uh, basically, if you look at it, we're looking at this going across the country. Uh, I, the term you use is stupid. I, I will say this. There is a part of me that understands the argument of people who are on welfare shouldn't be spending that money on drugs. Absolutely, they shouldn't. I remember uh, over the summer there was the report of somebody who had bought had the gall to buy steak and lobster with welfare money, and people freaked out saying if you can afford steak and lobster, then you should be able to... How do they put it? You, you shouldn't be able to get welfare because clearly you're doing well enough. And that is a misleading stat. And, and to me, when you're talking about this, it, it helps to go with the data that's relevant. So the two states that have had comprehensive drug testing uh, for welfare have been Utah, which they did a pilot program, and Florida, which did it statewide for all of their welfare recipients. In state, in Florida, statewide, it was 2.6% of all people on welfare uh, ended up testing positive for drugs. In Utah, they had a pilot program where they drug tested 466 welfare recipients, and after the uh, testing was done, 12 people tested positive for drugs. Now, they don't get into what kind of drugs, but they do say that they tested positive. At the end of the day, both of those programs ended up costing more in money than they did in the things that they saved. Now, if you want to argue that it's a moral issue, I can understand that argument from the other side, but practically it doesn't make sense. And this topic really gets into another issue, which is the perception that 
people who are middle class or upper class have of poor people. And the best example is to say it's upper class, middle class, lower class. And the lower class is, it's perceived that if you're on welfare, it's because you're lazy and you don't want to work. The idea that there are jobs out there. That ignores the fact that a majority of people on welfare actually do have jobs. They are just not making enough money at their job to make ends meet. And it also adds to the stigma of going on welfare, which is an important issue. AJ, in your life, have you, have you ever been on welfare? Yeah. Okay. I have not. Uh, when you went to do welfare, walk me through, first of all, what program were you on? Uh, well, unemployment. Okay. I, I don't even feel that un- unemployment isn't listed as a welfare program. Did you know that? No. And, 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 and that's like one of the things that people think is synonymous that, you know, well, welfare is unemployment and vice versa. And they're like somewhat two distinct programs to a degree. They are. The Let's get into the numbers just for a second here so people know what we're talking about. Nationwide, if you combine state and federal welfare programs, which, uh, let me see, I want to make sure I get this right. I have it written down here. These are the five, I'm sorry, the six main forms of welfare that exist in this country. There's Medicaid, which is for the disabled and for, seen, and for people who can't afford medical care. Uh, there is the SNAP, or Food Stamp Supplemental Assistance Program. Uh, that gives you roughly $1.50 for every meal that you would eat. Housing assistance is people who either live in government housing or receive money to help pay for their rent. There's Supplemental Security Insurance, which is the disability insurance that we always hear about. Mm-hmm. Temporary Assistance to Needy Families, or TAMF. That is cash benefits. That's just straight money given to families, as well as general assistance. Those are the six types of, of, of welfare that exist in this country. As of right now, as of 2012, 15% of the population is on Medicare. 13% of the population of the United States is on food stamps. Only 1% are on cash benefits or general assistance. Uh, that is 1% of the population. So 1% of the state, basically, is on getting direct cash benefits from the government. That's important because at the end of the day, you can't trade food stamps for drugs to a drug dealer. You can't use your Social Security income that, I mean, you, you can use that. You can use general assistance and you can use TAMF. Those three give you direct cash amounts. Now, I would argue that somebody that's on Social Security disability uh, you they're on disability for a reason. Now you can argue about disability fraud that does take place, but it's not very it's not nearly as common as the politicians would lead you to believe. Now, as we mentioned, this also gets into a very important issue, which is the perception of poor people in the United States. In your experience, AJ, dealing in your activism, in the councils that you work with, even some of the people that we worked with at the other radio station, people who don't have money or it's very clear that they are struggling are treated badly, I feel, by a majority of people that it's it's perceived that if you're on welfare, you're leeching off the state. Would mm-hmm. you agree? Of, of, of course. I mean, there's always this stereotype, stigma, wherever, all the names are in the sun, that once someone goes on welfare and even unemployment, um, they must be doing something wrong. And that's the kind of travesty that really wedges humanity, really, because, you know, I'm on state healthcare plans, you know, like I said, I'm on unemployment and everything. And even though I guess I carry myself a certain way, you know, people like don't perceive that I'm on such things, but I am. And there's also stereotypes of a certain segment of the population that's like, oh, it's only the black community, the Latino community. There's always on like, no, there's like other people on welfare and unemployment, and we just don't talk about that as much as we do the others. And those are the people that 
must be lazy. They must be not finding jobs and all this, whereas it's really the reverse. He can't find jobs because of various factors as well as they are that certain segment of the population. The statistics will tell you, if, if you look into it, if you're willing to, to do the research, which I have done, majority of people who are on welfare are, you know, like you said, the perception is that they are African-American, but pr- predominantly across the United States, uh, if you include every all 50 states, predominantly the people who are on welfare are white. 40% of the people on welfare are white. African-American, 25.7. Hispanic, uh, or Latino, however you want to phrase it, is 10%. Asian is 2 Native American, 1.2. Uh, multiple races, which are people of mixed backgrounds, are at 07 And then people who refuse to answer are at 128 Even if you assume that the 12.8 are all African American, which is wrong to do, but let's just, for the sake of the argument on the other side, do that, you're still at 30, 38%, 39%. Uh, are at African Americans still just below, uh, you know, the number perception of white people. So that 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 right there. I also, I, I hesitant to use racism really when it comes to this because it's classism. It's not racism to me. Racism, uh, it, it, it it doesn't seem racist. It seems classist. That there's this, as you said, there's a perception of poor people that they're lazy, which is such bull. You know. I've always been a subscriber of There By The Grace Of God Go I. I, I remember uh, many years ago I read a Stephen King short story uh, in a book called Hearts of Atlantis. And it's a very interesting short story collection that he wrote. But one of the stories in there involves a man who had served in Vietnam and what he would do for penance for the what he had done uh, in the war was that he would go out every year at Christmas time and beg for money on the street. He would humiliate himself and do this. And the reason that he did it was to remind himself of just how close he can you can come to do it, and he would give the money to charity. It was a very bizarre story. But the reason I mention it is that a big part of it is there by the grace of God go I. I, I, I can't speak to you, AJ, but I can tell you that I've been you know, broke a few times where I didn't know where my next meal was coming from, and, you know, which is weird to say. I live in a relatively affluent area. I know, you know, that if I need help, I have friends and family that are available. People who live uh, in my area, for the most part, don't go on welfare because it's not necessary. You know, your environment is, is a major factor in your decision to do so. And the stigma of going on welfare is actually one of the worst things about it because people tend to only go on it when they are absolutely desperate. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I mean, that, that, that to me has always been the biggest issue is that if you tell somebody that you're on welfare, instantly they treat you differently. I mean, I've seen it happen with people in my life. I know uh, friends of mine who have judged other people because they're taking disability insurance for whatever reason. I knew somebody who was on Social Security disability because they were schizophrenic when I was in high school. And the more you look into it, the problem is that a lot of people should actually be on welfare a lot earlier in their lives than they are when they finally apply. Uh, And if they had gone on it earlier, may not have gotten into such a desperate situation where they needed as much help. And it just, it, when I hear drug testing for welfare recipients, it disgusts me, is essentially where my real issue comes in. Because the idea is, you're on welfare, as you said, you must be doing something wrong. Right. I mean, to your other point, you know, there it is a classist issue. It really is. But there's also other intersectional issues that go along with welfare as well because, yeah, there are people who have hiccups in their journey of life. And those hiccups sometimes are organic. Sometimes those hiccups is really manufactured. You know, and I've seen situations where a person who is very able to work, but but the state really dictates what people can and can't do. Um, I've said I think I've said this to you before, and other people knows this story as well. That uh, my ex at the time we were trying to, you know, I mean, this is more unemployment and welfare, but bear with me. 
we went to the office and we were just wondering why one letter said that she can receive her benefits, but one letter says that she could not. And we found out that it was the unemployment office that dictated that it was upon their judgment that she could not work because of the medical situation that was she was in because of her ankle. So it precluded her for even doing administrative work. It precluded her to doing something part-time. It precluded her to doing other things. So they told her to get on disability. But you had to wait for a whole year just to claim disability. So not even in the unemployment office nor disability would work with her at all. So for one year, basically, she was told that she cannot work. For a whole year in order to receive her disability. So, I mean, these are the things I'm talking about, that there are various certain mechanisms in play that the state really dictates, you know, and this is beyond our control. And there's a reason why, you know, people get upset when they go to the welfare office, you know, because they're such on the outside that they don't know what's going on within the inside of the inner workings at the unemployment office, the welfare office, where have you, but... There's that whole dynamic of when you walk into an office, there's like already this tension that you can feel. You don't know what it is, but you know someone's about to yell or something's not going to go right. And you can feel that. You know, that's what's so interesting when you go into those kinds of offices that that kind of high tense energy is just looming there, but you just don't know what's going to happen. Well, in my view, it's it's that feeling of listen. I'm not to me. It comes like the the, the energy that you're talking about. I, I've been to the unemployment office twice in my life, and I and I know what you're talking about. There's that feeling that everybody who's there doesn't want to be there. Nobody. I have never met anybody on welfare who wants to be on welfare. I've never met somebody who's on unemployment who wants to stay on unemployment. The average person is on welfare or unemployment for an average of, uh, I think it's 18 months, 18 to 24 months. Majority of people will spend at least that amount of time in their lives uh, receiving unemployment or on welfare. Now, you know, a lot of people would say, well, you know, if you had done well in school, you wouldn't be in the situation. If you had worked harder, you wouldn't be in this situation, which, which is crap. I have a friend of mine. He's got a bachelor's degree and a master's degree. He was on unemployment for 15 months. You know, it, it, it's, it doesn't necessarily mean that you're doing something wrong to be on it. And then when you walk into those offices and you're standing there and you've got people who, like, I'm already here. I'm already desperate. And now you're making me where I have to defend my own life you know, to explain stuff. And the issue with drug testing people in that situation is, in my opinion, it's done for two reasons. One, it's to discourage people from taking welfare. Because if I know I have to submit to a drug test for something, chances are I'm not going to go do it. Not to mention, and we'll get into this a little bit later, the amount of money that it costs to get the drug test done. We'll get into that in a little bit here. But also... And you can tell me if you think I'm wrong on this, but I believe, and this is not a joke, you know, not a, me being facetious. I truly believe that it is a plan by the conservative right to stop minorities from voting. Oh no, I mean, I mean, that's where I I talked about earlier that there is a, a racial element to this because there is a conservative agenda that really wants to preclude immigrants from getting, you know our money, and as well as a certain segment of the U.S. population to do the same thing. I, I really do think that. I, I, I look at it this way. Um, you and I are both big fans of Aaron Sorkin. We love the show The West Wing, and I'm a, I, I know you do too, the, the show The Newsroom. And they had a great line in there once when they were talking about voter ID laws, where they said that voter fraud isn't a problem. It's a, it, it's a, it's an, voter ID laws are not the answer to the problem of voter fraud. They're an answer for a different problem, and that problem is that Republicans have a difficult time getting African Americans to vote for them. So it would just be better for them if they can't vote. And when people go, well, why is, an Af- is it harder for an African American to get an ID than it is for a white person? 
you, you can say those things, and in the abstract, that's one of those things, man, is people have these conversations in the abstract a lot, where they don't focus on an individual, they focus on a number of people, where the truth is, you have to think like a, one person, right? So, you're on, you're at the point where you need, let's say, all six forms of, me- of welfare, okay? Which roughly still comes out to, I think, something like $2,000 a month. If you were to receive all of them at once, okay? And that includes if you have kids. But for $2,000 a month, right? Well, now it's election day. And your polling place is three miles from your house. But you don't have any money to get there. So to vote, you're going to either have to walk the three miles or try to figure out a way to take a shuttle bus to the polling place. In either instance, you're not going to be... Most people are going to be discouraged from going so they don't get to vote. And I really believe that that's part of this idea. There's also... The factor of drug testing for people on welfare will stop people from applying for welfare. And we think of it, in this, especially here in Chicago, we think of it as, well, what's the big deal? You can get to any office and be able to do this. But if you live in Billings, Montana, how many offices in the state of Montana do you think they're going to be for you to do drug testing for welfare? Right. You're going to have to travel 40, 50 miles to be able to do it. Now, if you're already broke... How are you going to do that? Right. It, 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 it angers me to my core that we live in arguably the wealthiest nation on earth, the most powerful nation on earth, the greatest country in the world, and we act like people who are poor aren't part of our country sometimes. That's what it feels like to me. That if you're on welfare, you're surrendering your constitutional rights. There are people out there who say, well, you're choosing to go on welfare. Not a single person who's on welfare has ever gone, you know what I'm going to do with my life? I'm going to do everything I can to get on welfare. Nobody mm-hmm. does that. But there's a perception that they do. I know. I know. I mean, I mean, I don't know what else to say other than, you know, this is part of the propaganda that the conservative political conservatives, as well as conservatives in the nonprofit sector, um, want to put out there, and it's it's just I just roll my eyes every time they do stuff like that because it's the same garbage that they want to let people be informed of what's going on and everything, and I just kind of balk at them like I'm like oh, whatever. I mean, just do your research. Fact check, you know, for every citation put on there, look at that citation and then look at the other citations along with that. I mean, I remember I was driving back from Indianapolis and this radio station just caught my ear and happened to be this religious conservative. And he was essentially saying that parents with gay children – essentially will be on welfare much higher. No, parents who have gay children, those children will more likely have a higher percentage of being on welfare. And I'm like, what? <laughs> I mean, so you're saying if I adopt, you know, a, a gay child or a lesbian child or even have a gay or lesbian child, that they're more likely to be on welfare? I mean, this is preposterous. Well, it's the same thing as saying that somebody who grows up in a welfare house is more likely to be on welfare. And that number is unfortunately true, but it's because the opportunities aren't there for somebody who comes from a family that has been on welfare to be in a situation where they can get themselves out. And we hear it all the time when it comes to athletics, when it comes to music. You know, you hear those stories all the time. When I, I grew up in a neighborhood where it was... You know, you're going to join a gang, go to jail and die, play basketball or be a rapper, and that's the only way out of the ghetto. You know, how many times have you heard, you know, Dre or Cube or Snoop, you know, say that exact line? And to think that that's not the reality, that these people don't, you know, that the people who are on welfare, and again, we're you and I are guilty of it right now in this show. We are focusing on inner city African Americans, when the truth is a majority of people who are on welfare are white people from rural America. You know, people who live, and for lack of a better term, the flyover states. You know, people who live in the middle of Nebraska or uh, places where the crystal meth epidemic has, you know, impoverished certain towns and certain things. And you, you find yourself looking at this going, 
you're testing these people for for what purpose? And here's the thing, and this is from, do you know the Young Turks? Yeah. Okay. This is a quote from Desi Doinem. Uh, She's a, a reporter and a legal expert on the Young Turks. And she was quoted as saying in one of their pieces that there is not a compelling state interest in making sure that this very particular, very small, narrowly targeted group of people should be set aside for special testing and special searches. It is not about public money going, public money going to work supporting their drug habit. This is about punishing poor people. And on the PBS NewsHour, a man named Ray Suarez was interviewing the CWEE director. This is a place that does counseling... Uh, for work and employment. Basically, this is a woman who trains people on welfare to be able to get better jobs. This is what she says about people on welfare. They are really putting together an amazing time management and incredible motivation and such an interest in moving forward. And so the idea of drug testing does not make sense to me. This is a person who deals with welfare recipients on a daily basis. Uh, If you get into the even bigger numbers of the number of people who are on welfare and break it down statistically, most people who receive general assistance in cash do it for a period of eight months to a year. Most people don't do it for longer than that. Uh, Disability insurance, food stamps, that tends to last a little bit longer. in 2009 to 2012, we went from 18.6 of people on some form of welfare up to 21.3. As of 2014, that number had gotten as high as 34.8% of the population is receiving some form of government assistance. Now, I want to kind of keep that in mind as I kind of switch this a little bit to the hypocrisy of this issue. The majority of people who push for drug testing for welfare recipients are conservatives, correct? Mm-hmm. Okay. Conservatives are big fans of farm subsidies, right? Agriculture subsidies. Agriculture subsidies are, a pros- are, are something that came about in the early 1900s. Uh, I want to say right around the time of the Great Depression and the Dust Bowl to essentially encourage farmers to keep the food supply low to keep prices high, right? Mm -hmm. Okay. Mm -hmm. Here's the problem with farm subsidies. When they were initially enacted, a majority of agriculture done in the United States was done by private farmers. I think everybody who knows about this kind of stuff would tell you that a majority of agriculture in this country is no longer done by the small farmer. The small-town farmer, the small-time farmer, is essentially a myth in today's world, right? Right. Okay. Farm subsidies do not benefit small-time farmers. What they benefit are large agricultural uh, corporations, Monsanto and the like, to get government help to essentially shore up their bottom line. These are not companies that are hurting for money, but they receive government assistance, and that's what it is, to bolster their bottom line, and they take those subsidies. Where is the testing to make sure that these people deserve that assistance. 3% of the population I'm sorry, 3% of the federal budget and state budgets go to welfare. 5% go to corporations who receive some form of government tax help to shore up their bottom line for businesses. The idea being that those people will protect jobs here in America, which they do not do because there is no repercussion for what they do. So why aren't we ever having the conversation that corporate welfare, and that's what it is, is as big of a problem in this country as individual welfare, which if you were to look at welfare, it comes out again to $512 billion a year. If you look at how much it costs the country in corporate benefits, it is nearly twice that amount. Well, I mean, honestly, Nick, I mean, corporations are a person, so they need money. You know, you're absolutely right about that. I forgot about the time that uh, <laughs> corporations, you know, are having tough times feeding their kids. You know, they, they, they're, they're out there trying to find work as a corporation, and they can't really get it done. I know that it's really important to board members that they receive, you know, the, the support of a loving country and use their tax dollars responsibly to make sure that they are performing good corporate works. At no point trying to screw over the little guy and, and force them to acquiesce to their business needs. That does not happen. They're, they're, they're not only are they people, AJ, they're good Christians. That's right. 
Which, that's the other thing. The, the, the majority of the people who sit there and, and, and spout this, you know, I've, I've heard people say this before, and I think that it, it, it bears repeating. How many times in your life have you heard the joke that, you know, Republicans really care about life? They're really about the Christian conservative idea that life begins at conception. And then apparently their responsibility is only to make sure that that uh, child comes out of the womb. But once it's out of the womb, you know, put that little bastard to work and make sure he pulls himself up by his own bootstraps. Because we don't help once that happens. You are forcing people around the country. There are laws going into effect that are essentially making it incredibly difficult for women to get abortions. Uh, And then once those children are born into, and, and let's face it people will say that it's irresponsible for somebody to get an abortion because they can't afford the child but it's in my opinion a better solution than adding to the already horrible you know child hunger issue that we have going across this entire country you know i mean we can keep talking about i know this this line of discussion we're having right now but i mean it comes just right back to the conservative agenda I mean, you're right. I mean, there's a lot of pro-lifers that want to keep a fetus alive through term, but once it leaves said vagina, then, (laughs) you know, now there's a lot of other stipulations once they're born, right? Um, Same way with the farmer. We don't have small-town farmers anymore. We have corporate farming going on. And it's it's really about an agenda, an ideology that really is nonsensical. It's really a pathetic attempt to define what humanity really is. It, I mean, and I'm just laying it out there because show me somebody who's a conservative that really cares about conserving humanity. Show me someone, and I've met some of them, but show me other people who are Christians and they say they're pro-life, but they're pro-life from the womb and on the death penalty issue. Yeah. I mean, that's what I'm saying is that this is really pathetic when you're calling yourself a conservative. What are you really conserving? You're not conserving the environment. You're not conserving energy. You're not conserving money. You're not conserving anything but an ideology that is wedging humanity. There comes a point when I analyze these ideas, the idea of drug testing for welfare, the, the, the way that they handle uh, abortion rights, where and, and I get uh, arguments with my friends about it, but I would argue that at this point, right now, in the United States, that if you vote Republican – there's a strong possibility that you're a racist because that is the issues that they tend to bring to the forefront. You know, and they use all their little coded words. You know, it's illegal immigration, which is a really nice way of saying we don't like the fact that people speak Spanish at McDonald's. <laughs> right. I mean, honestly, doesn't that you, – you sit there and you have, you have the, the, front, the former front runner uh, for the Republican nomination standing there saying he's going to build a wall because they're sending in drug dealers into our country, which is – and so, they're going to build it, and and they're going to pay to build it, you know, because I, I he has superpowers to make people do what they don't want to do. Which, actually, if you look at the women he's dated, that might actually be true. Um, it, it it gets to this point though, and it, and it all stems from this idea that up in Wisconsin right now, I, I have joked for years, for years that there are 12 black people who live in the state of Wisconsin and they play for the Milwaukee Bucks. <laughs> I, and, and, and people laugh and it's a joke. And yeah, you know, I'm not serious about that. But realistically, the, it's the state of Wisconsin. It is a predominantly white, Anglo-Saxon, you know, state. That, mm-hmm. that, that is what is up there. And you have this perception that, okay, well, we've got to stop people from getting welfare because they're on drugs. Again, 2% of the people tested in the state of Florida tested positive for drugs. 3% tested in Utah. If you break that down, it comes out to you're saving, I think at the end of the day, nationwide $27 billion. Are you telling me that it's going to cost less than $27 billion to drug test everybody in the United States who's on welfare? Because I'm willing to bet that there's not a government bureaucracy to drug test all of those people that is not going to cost at least that amount of money. 
But I mean, it goes back to my point. You know, they're, they're calling themselves fiscal conservatives, but they're not being fiscally conservative if you're spending money on something that's not a return, a good return on investment. Right, and if you're physically conservative, then go after the corporations who, after 2008, got all of those bailout monies. Where's your demand that the government come in and make sure that the money's being used correctly then? You didn't push for any regulation on any of those large financial institutions afterwards. In fact, you actively fought against it because the free market will decide. Well, here we are eight years later. The free market, you know, did what it did, and at the end of the day, who made money at the end of 2008? The banks made money, investment firms made money, politicians made money for their campaign re-elections, and people who live normal lives didn't see a dime of it. Home ownership and home new homes bought are still at our all-time lows every single year. We're not generating any new income in this country as a result of it. Banks are still trading, you know, dangerous, dangerous, you know, debt options back and forth i had friends of mine yesterday explaining to me and i and i went through and tried to understand this there's a policy that was put into action a few years ago called quantitative easement quantitative easement is where the federal reserve essentially prints dollar bills and allowed banks to buy them or to take or loan them out at zero percent or one percent interest which they would then turn around and instead of lending out which is what they were supposed to do with the money they would turn around buy treasury bonds at 3.5% gaining interest, turning around a 2% profit on losing money. On money that they were given from the government, they then turned around and sold it and basically bought it right back, used the money the government to give them to buy an investment into the government at a higher return of investment than the interest that they were paying on the money. So automatically, without doing anything, they made a profit. Where to me is your physically conservative Republicans at that point going, we just wasted trillions of dollars on these bailouts and nothing happened. But Nick, you're missing the big picture. What's the big picture? We need to protect America. Private sector jobs generates revenue. We need to conserve our values and our morals. And more importantly, God. Right, we need to protect God from the poor people. Because I, I know that when I studied the teachings of Jesus Christ when I was a child at Catholic school, that he was all about making sure that poor people... You're wrong, people... you're wrong, you're reading the wrong book. Oh, I'm sorry, which Bible should I be reading? My Bible. Oh, your Bible. What does it say in your Bible, Mr. Conservative My Bible AJ? says that God is righteous, God is the all-knowing, God is the one that protects us. Do you think, okay, we're joking about this, but let me ask you a question. Look at a Scott Walker, look at a Ted Cruz. Do I have to? I mean, you don't have to look at them, but you have to at least analyze okay. the stuff that they say. I mean, I'm not saying you've got to lock eyes with them in a very beautiful, moving moment where all of a sudden the song from Officer and Gentleman plays and Ted Cruz comes to try to pick our fat asses up. Oh, sure, I get Scott. I get, I get Ted Cruz. Oh, I'm sorry, would you prefer Scott Walker? I'd rather have Scott Walker. Is it because Ted. he has cheddar cheese with him? That's right. You know. That's fair. Bring a dairy cow to my work. I might be more willing to go with you somewhere. With his boyish good looks. Yeah. Moo. <laughs> yeah. Um, I wonder sometimes if it's almost a cultish-like version of Christianity that they believe people are poor because they're sinful. I sometimes wonder if that's what they think. That the re- but, but, I mean, I guess... It- then the, the crux of that question is, then how are you defining sin? I mean, if you're not defining sin as adultery, um, stealing, stuff like that, I mean, I guess that would, be the, that would be it, right? You know, you're on welfare, so, so therefore you're stealing money from the government, therefore you're sinful. But outside of that, you know, it depends on how they define sin, you know? I mean, I guess... The thing is, man, I don't. I mean, I don't honestly believe that they honest that that's what they think. But I want, sometimes wonder if that's their what they're operating off of. That they believe that only because there comes a point where to be a decent Christian, you can't believe this stuff. You can't believe that all people who are poor are on drugs, and to act like we're we're trying to sort out a few bad apples is in, it, it just seems. I, you and I have had this conversation when it comes to the Patrick Kane situation where uh, I sometimes just have to sit there and go, 
it just feels wrong. There, there is, I do strongly believe, I don't, be, don't know if I believe in God. I've had this conversation with my father many times. I don't know if I believe in God as the old man with the white beard or old woman with wrinkly skin or Alanis Morissette from Dogma, but... I do. Okay. The Alanis Morissette from Dogma? Of course. Okay. You're, you're weirding me out, man. Why? I'm kidding. I, I love that. one hand in my pocket. um the don't you think uh it's like rain on your wedding day that's not ironic it's just inconvenient (laughs) crazy lady from canada oh i I wouldn't badmouth her for being from canada anymore because it's where i want to go live now i want to move to canada but uh i i i wonder how you can I mean, we were joking about this, but realistically, go back and look at your Bible if any of you out there have one readily available. Jesus Christ did not abandon the poor. You're a Christian. You know, and we're, we're, we've been doing this for 40 minutes, and it, to me, it... I, I don't, like I was saying, I don't know what what kind of force I believe in. Oh, I believe in the force. That's that's what I was getting to. Is I don't know what kind of God I believe in, but I believe that we are all connected. And I believe that human beings are born with a moral compass that can be warped, can be changed by your life and your environment, how you're raised, all of that. But I do truly believe that most people know at any given point what is right and what is wrong. I, I, do you ever subscribe to that? Oh, yeah. I mean, I've, I've said it before that I don't necessarily believe in God with a capital G. Rather, that there's much more of a universe, and all of us are interconnected at some point. I just met a guy yesterday named Alan in my, in my town. Never met him before. Someone mentioned I should get to know him, and it turns out that he and I have this weird connection with the last, well, the radio station we worked at. Like, he knew the people there. You know, and somehow he and his people were there, and I was there in a very weird way. Like, we kind of missed each other, but now we are at this intersection in life that we're now having a conversation around his dinner table. Right. That's what, I mean, I feel that is what life is about, that all of us are part of this interconnected web, and we come back to certain places there's places that we don't know why we're there, but we are there for a reason, you know, and if it pans out, it pans out. If not, you know, you can always come back to where you're more comfortable at, you know. I, I, so, I, the, the thing that I want to get across here with this line of thinking, though, is it, it, it doesn't it, it should just, to me, everything about this just feels wrong in my gut. It feels wrong. In, in a place in my heart, or in my soul even, if you want to go that far with it, that you're doing this, you're not doing this because you want to get people off of drugs. You're not doing, you're doing this to punish people for being poor. That's what it feels like to me. And there's another side to this that we haven't touched on yet that I want to get into to kind of end this up. And that is, we talk about this issue and we ignore one of the major things here that I have yet to find any, I'll be honest with you right now, I have yet to find this information available because it's hard to track this down. But I am trying like hell, man, to find the numbers of the companies that make these drug tests. I really want to know how much money they're giving to conservative campaigns. I really do. The average amount for a state to charge somebody on welfare for a drug test is $42, okay? Mm-hmm. That's the average cost nationwide. Combine that by the number of people who are on welfare, you are talking about $4.5 billion a year that will be spent simply on drug tests, just the tests, the physical tests. Not, not, not the people working there, not the people, uh, not the security of the building, not the rent of the building, just on the physical drug test itself. You're going to be paying $4.5 billion a year. It's hard to track down what companies make what tests for what state, and it's hard to track down even more than that, what are the names of the conglomerates that own those companies. But I am very suspicious and truly believe that if you track that money down, that they have given a lot of money to Republican gubernatorial candidates to push this agenda because it helps their bottom line. 
Do you know um, one of the drug companies? That's the thing. None of that information is released. You cannot just easily find that information. It is, it is very difficult, which makes me more suspicious of it because they're doing a very good job of hiding it. And so here, so, you know, Missouri is one of those states that does drug testing, right? Right. So what's to say there's a company called Arc Point Labs of Jackson DNA and drug testing, okay? Okay. So let's just say for the sake of argument, that's one of them. Okay, we don't know, but let's say they are one of them. Now you can go to like their website, and they actually there's an Arc Point Labs in Chicago, conveniently enough. Um, so you can go somewhere like that, and you know if you can find a business like that and try to find, you know, who's on their board or someone that works there. And then you can simply just cop and paste that name and go to like opensecrets.org and see if, you know, individually they give money or you can go there and see and if, um, well, let's, let's do this. I'm, I'm right there right now. Um, here we go. Arc Point Labs. You know, I'm, I'm copying and pasting. I'm at Open Secrets, you know, and right now... It is loading. There's no results. So, I mean, this one is a bust. But, I mean, it's, it's something like that that people can do. The, the, more, the more that I think about, the, about this, it – at the end of the day, man, I just know that if you are forcing people into a situation where they need to take drug tests to get assistance that they absolutely need, it will stop people from going to do it. Because, let's face it, you never know – there are so many risks to the people who are at risk in this scenario that that it's just it's just horribly wrong. You have what about a false positive? That happens. What if you eat? Right. There's that great Seinfeld episode where uh, Elaine keeps eating poppy seed muffins, right? Right. She goes in and okay. she tests positive for opiates, and yeah, it's a funny joke and it's a great episode and it doesn't you know Seinfeld at its best. But what about that? What if you went in for a welfare and you happen to have a poppy seed bagel, you know, or you know, a hot dog with poppy seeds on it, or all you can afford to eat, by the way, is hot is a hot dog and buns, pretty much every day of, of the week because all you get from the government is a dollar fifty a meal, which is basically the price of a hot dog. Um, then you lose your your welfare, or you've got to go through all this stuff. Not to mention the most insidious part of all of this, which is in Florida and Utah, Wisconsin as well. When you go to do the drug test, it's not like the drug test is free. Mm -hmm. You have to pay out of pocket for the drug test. You're reimbursed if you pass. But if you fail, they keep the money. So now you're talking about, and let's face it, we know how this is done. If anybody out there has ever dealt with a DUI or a drug charge in the state of Illinois, you know that you have to go to a private company to get an evaluation that is set up by the court system supposedly to relieve the system of undue um, from being overloaded by people, but realistically it's because these companies pay the politicians to keep them in business and to force people to have to go and deal with them. And now you're talking about the same thing when it comes to people who are already desperate. That's the thing, man. We're not talking about people who have oodles of money stored away for the day that they need to prove to the government that they're upstanding citizens. You're talking about charging people $30, $40, $50 to go do a drug test that they're going to have to transport themselves to. So now let's say, let's say you do it taking the bus. Let's make it the city of Chicago. So it's going to cost you, what's a round trip on the bus nowadays? I think it's five bucks? Yeah. Roughly for a round trip. So you're talking five bucks for that, probably another couple dollars here or there that because you're out and about in the city maybe you actually have a car and you drive and park okay well somewhere in the city you're probably gonna have to pay for parking so that comes out to seven or eight dollars ever since we privatized uh parking meters which is a whole other conversation for another day and you're still okay so now you're in the you know seven eight dollars plus the eight forty fifty dollars that you're going to spend on a drug test plus the amount of money that you're going to have to waste going back and forth from the welfare office to either verify your results combat the results or go in and apply for different forms of welfare you know you're in the 75 85 dollars out of 
that amount of money that you're going to need to get buy stuff. That is food out of people's mouths. Isn't capitalism great? It really is. The older I get, the more I come to realize that capitalism is, is actually just evil. <laughs> that it, that, you know what? Honestly, though, think about it. Capitalism cannot survive without slavery. I mean, this is what I've been telling people, you know, and they kind of laugh at me. It's like, oh, you don't understand me. No, I fully well understand what it is. What you don't understand is that you don't want to have the reality that all these things you want to put in place, there's other what I call add-ons to it. And what you just said is perfect. You know, someone has to go take drug testing. They have to pay money to take the CTA in Chicago, which is a private company to begin with, which is Ventra. And now they have to, if they have a car, they go park at a privatized parking, which is some other company getting that and everything. And the city's getting the dime off that. And you have to do all these things, you know, and it's all, everyone's profiting off of you and you're not getting a dime. Yeah. I, I tell my dad all the time when we talk about you know financial issues that the way I've felt, and I think I've said this to you before, the way I feel when it comes to how poor people, even middle class people, are being treated by the incredibly rich is that say that you have a pizza, you know, and, and, and I hate yes. to use this simplistic you know, analogy, but you got a pizza. And as time has gone on here in the United States, they have been getting more slices of that pie. You can do the pie analogy, too, but I like pizza. We're Chicago. Let's assume it's a nice deep dish from Uno, which, ladies and gentlemen, if you live in Chicago and you want to know an interesting statistic, here's a random one for you. The amount of calories in a Luminati's pizza, a full large cheese, Luminati's pizza, is, is equal to one slice of the calories in a Pizzeria Uno. <laughs> Just to keep that in mind. When you eat one slice of Uno, you are ingesting the same amount of calories as an entire large Lil Nelnati's deep dish cheese. Just keep that in mind. So that's what, And then they cost the same amount of money, so you get more heart attack for your buck from Uno. Anyway. Right. But you have the pizza. Let's say in the 1950s and 60s, they were getting 50% of the pie. And then in the 70s, it was 60. And then 70. And then 80. And as they get more and more of that, the rest of us who aren't at that level are left really scrapping for the last two slices. And it feels like that's the idea, that we are being turned against each other to fight amongst ourselves for this amount of money. And I go back to there, but by the grace of God, go I. Welfare is one of those things that until you're on it, you don't think about. You really don't. Uh, my friend Dave and I, a long time ago, had a conversation, uh, I think on the radio, about bread lines. And I, and I asked him, this is 2010 maybe, and, and, and I asked him, do you think we'll see bread lines the way we did in the 1940s in our lifetime? And he looked at me and he said, that, and it was one of the saddest things ever because you'd never thought of it this way. But the numbers are out there to back this up. The number of people on welfare outnumber the number of people who were getting food from bread lines in the Great Depression. The difference is we don't see it because it is done electronically. The money goes directly into an account. You have a card to that account. You go to the store. You check out the exact same way that you would if you had money. So we don't see the people who are on welfare. 34% of the people in this country, over a third, are on some form of government assistance. And we treat it like, because it's not me, I don't have to care about it. And clearly these people have done something wrong. My roommate, one of, the, you know, one of my best friends, he... He and I talked about this last night, and I knew that he would take the side of he doesn't care. And I will give him credit for this, because he did have the balls to give the answer that no one else has the balls to say. Which is when I asked him, why do you think that it's okay for people to be drug tested? He looked at me dead in the eye and says, honestly, man, it doesn't affect me, so I don't care. Now, you can say that, that that's very jaded answer for him, but at least he's honest. Because that's the real reason most people are okay with this. But, no, I guess I'm stumbling because I understand where he's coming from. I really do. But that's the same answer I hear about people voting and other things. And for me, it's kind of that 
I really want to shake them. And like, but you have to care. I mean, I mean, you got to be you, but you are part of this bigger puzzle, you know. And I feel it's more on the person who doesn't care than the person who is caring. If that makes sense. No, it does. It does. But what I'm what I'm saying, I'm not saying that he's right to say that. Well, I'm not saying he's right or wrong either. I'm just saying. I mean, that's the. He, that, I mean, that's an example of everything else I've heard from other people. Right, you know? on any number of issues, you know, on any number of issues. And, you know, it's the same thing that goes into, you know, people hear about criminal sentencing or debtor's prisons, and you think it won't affect you until the day that they show up at your house with an arrest warrant for a parking ticket that you didn't pay 10 years ago and arrest you for it right. and lock you up. You know, and, and that happens nowadays. If you don't have money f- to pay for your court fees, they can lock you up. That's illegal, but we do it all the time anyway, right? Because you're not living up to the conditions of your probation or your parole. And to me, this issue, the, the, the drug testing on welfare issue, is scary as hell. Because and you, I, anyone listening to this, feel free to, to disregard it if you want. But I'm a big fan of the hypothetical slippery slope argument. I feel it's something that is, can be used to paint a picture. And here's the thing, and this is where it gets to affect me. I, I have lived in Des Plaines and Glenview my entire life. Those are two pretty well-off suburbs. Most of the people I know have money. I, realistically, even when I didn't know where my next meal was coming from could always ask for help. Now, I didn't a lot of the times out of pride, but the help was available to me outside of the government. That doesn't exist with people who live in areas of abject poverty. But more importantly, man, as I look at that scenario and go, okay, I'm never really going to be hurting for this. I always might be, you know, might start hurting for it and need that help. And I... I'm afraid that at some point with food stamps, here's a great example. This is what I was trying to get to. When it comes to food stamps, you're on, you're on drugs, so you're not allowed to get government assistance. That ignores, by the way, the fact that most people who are on welfare have children who are depending on that welfare money to eat. But let's ignore that. Let's assume we're talking about single people who are drug addicts who are on welfare, the 2% of people on welfare who are. That's... Okay, they're on drugs. Drugs are illegal. You can do it. doesn't get into the idea of abusing prescription drugs. If you have a valid prescription for Vicodin, they can't test you to make sure that you're not taking your prescribed amount. You could be taking 15 Vicodin a day, but as long as you have a prescription for it, that's fine. What about obesity? If I walked into an unemployment office and somebody said, listen, you're not going to get food stamps, fatty. You're clearly not starving. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Like, that's the next one. Or you can keep going down that level because, you know, and I know that there are people listening to this going, yeah, well, good, fuck fatty. He shouldn't, you know, shouldn't be eating if he's so overweight. But at the same time, it's like, well, you know, it's my life. And you're not me. You don't know that I've struggled with my weight my entire freaking life since I was six years old. You know what I'm saying? It's, it, and, I, and I've been fighting a losing battle most of my life. And... What? Because I'm fat, I don't get food stamps? Now, I know that that's not the case right now, but that's the next thing, right? And we are constantly cutting services and support for the people who need it the most and, and not doing so to the people who get help who don't need it, like large corporations or rich people who get uh, tax credit for being job, earn, you know, job providers that they end up sending the jobs overseas anyway. And you look again, we, I go back to this you know, quantitative easement. The idea was that they keep this economy going to keep jobs here in the United States. That was the idea. And those companies ship the jobs overseas still to protect their bottom lines in the short-sighted conservative way of thinking about business that has ended up screwing everybody over. You, and I think you and I have had this conversation before on your show, my show, whatever, back in the day. But it comes down to this. You want to fix the United States of America? The answer is not that difficult. It's cut defense spending by 25%, raise the minimum wage across the country, subsidize the minimum wage by the federal government, get everybody up to where they're living well above the poverty line in the United States. You fix 90% of the problems in the United States. Mm-hmm. You know, I, that, to me, and the fact that we don't do it, 
is not because we need a strong military. You cut 25% of defense spending, we still have the strongest, most expensive military in the world. But, yeah, and, you know, I know this is going to be for another show, but, I mean, I'd much rather do, transform how we spend our money and y- utilize certain taxes in order for us to get the things that we need in society. Uh, give me an example. Um, I'd I much rather, you know, do away with the market-driven banking system that we have and make it more public banking. Uh, I'd much rather utilize our tax dollars and have that go towards having low tuition or having free education and higher education, whether it be two-year, four-year, or technical school. Um, I'd much rather utilize certain financial resources in order for have free housing because Utah is doing that as well. Um, they provide free housing for people and they're actually increasing the revenue because people are actually having housing. They're actually finding jobs in order for them to find an actual house for them. I mean, this things like that. I mean, these are just um, little teasers, if you will. But I mean, th- I mean, these are, these are examples that I much rather transform our economic situation into making it more um, user friendly for society, I guess. We're coming up on the end of this, and, and you know, we get to the end of a lot of these major issues, and it, it is it does sometimes feel very disheartening uh, to talk about this stuff the way that you and I do, and, and come to the conclusion that realistically, ladies and gentlemen, if you've made it this far into the show, let let me explain why we do what we do when it comes to talking about this stuff. You have to care about this stuff. You have to. You have to be willing in a free in a free society to make sure that you're protected should things go wrong in your life, that these services are there for you. You are not, in the eyes of the government, a snowflake. You are but a number to them. And the more we allow social services to be cut, the more we punish the lower rungs of society simply for being the lower rungs of society hurts all of us. People should be able to work 40 hours a week and be okay. Getting a, can- getting a diagnosis of cancer or AIDS or I'm trying to think of other diseases that you can think of. Getting the bubonic plague, which is apparently making a comeback here in the United States, is not a death sentence or even, even in many cases, even worse than a death sentence, a ticket to the poorhouse. Mm-hmm. You might be an insanely rich person, and they can take away your health insurance like that if they want to because they've decided that you have a condition that they don't have to afford or if a treatment is considered experimental, even if it's been used for 10 years. These are the issues that you need to defend against because, yes, they don't affect your everyday life. Do they affect your ability to go to work, to go home? No, they don't. They honestly don't. But what they end up doing is hurting you in a moment where you're going to need help. And... The more you fight against this, the more you stand up and go, yes, absolutely, drug test the poor people for having, for having issues. You know, you are forcing people into even more desperate situations because I am telling you right now, just be, look, I'm going to throw this out on Front Street, AJ. We've been talking about this whole time. I smoke weed. I don't smoke weed nearly as much as I did when I was younger, but I smoke weed. And I don't feel that it's that bad of a thing to do. Now, granted, you can sit there and argue with people that, well, you shouldn't be spending money on that. And that's a fair argument, but I'll tell you this. I don't really spend that much money on it. I really don't. Most people who do drugs, and this is going to sound really bad, can get them in some manner or way for free. So let's say you're a poor person who is a drug addict. And you don't have money for drugs. Believe me when I tell you, there are ways to get drugs. And some of them are fine. Some of them are bartering services for it. A lot of the times it isn't that clean. And you're going to force people to be desperate. You're going to force people to not want to sign up for the help that they need to begin with. And as a human being, ask yourself the question, is it really okay for the number of homeless people and the number of starving people that we have in this supposed great country to still be starving and to still be hurting that much because you don't think it affects you. And if it doesn't affect you, 
even on a human on a, on a humanitarian level, there's something wrong. And is there anything else you want to add right. to this, AJ? No. Okay. I mean, I, you pretty much summed it up. I mean, as you said, you know, <clears throat> Nick and I do this show, um, even though we did it like a, separately on our respective shows in the last radio station we worked at. We do this because we actually care about issues, and there's, you know, from time to time, we may differ on certain things. There's a lot of things that we do agree on, and there's not a lot of podcast shows nor radio shows that talk about these things from the heart and those of us who actually talk about it from a real-life perspective. So, I mean, this is why we do it. I hope you folks enjoyed the show today. I hope we learned you something. Uh, We'll probably be doing another show next week. We'll try to lighten it up, get into something a little bit more fun and uh, not uh, constantly drag you down with numbers and stats. But I feel this topic is important. It needs to be talked about. It's on the books to be voted on here in Illinois where we have a Republican governor who is going to push for this to be passed. And uh, before you sit there and acquiesce to it and go that I really don't care, keep in mind that all it takes for you to become poor is to lose your job and get sick at the same time. That's all it's going to take. And if those two things happen to you at once, you're going to be right there in the, in the line for everybody else trying to get your, your assistance. And then they're going to ask you to spend $50 to go to another building and take a drug test. And you're already hurting. And you may not be able to afford dinner that night because you had to take a drug test to prove that you're a stand-up citizen and violate your Fourth Amendment rights. So I think that uh, pretty much sums it up. AJ, say goodbye to the people. Adios a todos. Okay, he did it in Spanish because AJ is an illegal immigrant. And uh, I will simply say adieu because I'm a a fancy French person. This has been Out Front with AJ Nick here on the Chicago Podcast Network. Thank you so much, ladies and gentlemen, for joining us. We will talk to you all next week. I will be uh, posting another show, I think tomorrow, featuring an interview with Andy Zemidis, the leader of the Hellenic uh, American Leadership Council, and uh, we'll have some fun talking about that, what he does for a living. That will be popping up on the network on Friday, uh, November 6, 2015. And uh, the only reason I'm giving you the date on that, folks, if you're listening to this podcast 10 years from now in 2025 well i hope the world still exists thank you so much for listening ladies and gentlemen we out this has been a production of the chicago podcast network theme music provided by the free music archive morning blue by josh woodward that's josh woodward on the free music archive Thanks so much for listening you can find us on facebook twitter and gmail 106 miles to chicago we got a full tank of gas, half a pack of cigarettes, it's dark, and we're wearing sunglasses. Hit it.